Hello and welcome back to the Convergence Podcast. I'm your host, Benjamin Minch. And I'm Caleb Metz. And today we are joined by a special friend of ours, uh, a business major here at Biola University, Coleman. Uh, thanks for having me on. Yes. Hello. Uh, thank you for coming with us. Uh, and if you haven't guessed already by the intro, few actually do guess by the intro because our intro is just a song that plays how great their art. Uh, it's the same every episode, so you, there's no way you could have guessed from the intro. But we're talking about science and industry and sort of science and business this week. That's why we brought a business major here. He's hopefully going to shed some light on the business side, and we can do some of the science side. Uh, so just a quick introduction to our topic. Uh, it might build a little bit on previous episodes as well, but uh, scientists can be found in all fields of industry. Uh, you may not know this already, but the oil that oil companies excavate is found by scientists using processes. Uh, scientists design perfect aerodynamics for your car, for trains, for planes. We saw this a little bit in the biomimicry section. We've also got scientists that develop new types of chemicals to use in the food industry, such as artificial sweeteners or trans fats. Uh, those are great. Boo. We don't like trans fats. Uh, and scientists also develop parts of our phones uh, and smartphones that you can be seen used by industries to sell to us, like Apple, Samsung, Google, all of those industries that use phones. Uh, and scientists also make GMO crops, which we are, might have a future episode on GMO crops, because that in itself is a whole new realm of things that n needs to be discussed. So uh, our format uh, today will just go in a sort of a discussion about science, and ultimately at the end we'll get into a little bit of uh, what it looks like to be a Christian in the business and science world and the ethics behind that and what we should do as believers in Christ. So let's just get it started off with a few questions maybe. Uh, do we think uh, that science highlighting climate change as a major push has given it a lower role in the industry? I know that I've seen in articles uh, from The Guardian at least that a lot of businesses see that maybe science with the increasing role in climate change and businesses wanting to make profit and not, not really want to change their environmental impact, uh, it might have less of a role in industry. So I want to know your guys' thoughts on that one. Uh, one thing I noticed um, regarding that is that I think one thing that um, happens a lot is that there's very little denial of the fact that there is some sort of climate change or some sort of effect that industry or businesses is having on the environment as a whole. So I think the denial of it's very low. Uh, the article you mentioned before on The Guardian had a stat that 67% of CEOs said that they're not happy with the actions that are being taken to um, address climate change. But if you look on how many of those CEOs are actually taking action within their own businesses, it's quite low. So I think there's a lot of people that uh, understand that there is a need, but they're not willing to sacrifice their own profits or anything of the such to be able to ha actually affect the climate and to kind of like revert back to how it was. Yeah. I think we were talking with uh, Professor Anthony a few weeks ago and he was talking about how uh, if things are going to be widely accepted as uh, environmentally friendly things. They also need to be profitable for the businesses because I think profitable makes it a lot more likely to be adopted by the businesses and taken into practice and will ultimately be a lot more effective in the long run. So. So yeah, I think science can, uh, maybe a little bit has been pushed back in a little box because of its pushing towards and more focused towards climate change these days. But I think uh, businesses will adopt some of the scientific claims if they are profitable is ultimately what I think there. Uh, so based on this, we've got 
pretty much a general question that might actually set the stage for where we're going with this conversation. Uh, is industry a hindrance or an accelerant to science? Or does it corrupt good science and the discovery of new things? Uh, what are you guys' thoughts on this? So one thing I think is that I believe that industry is an accelerant accelerant to science because if you don't have an incentive to produce something better then you're not going to do it and business making a profit produces a, produces an incentive for example you have you had the nasa space program and that was really big in the 20th century but that kind of slowly has died out and now nasa is not as big and they've stopped sending astronauts to space but what now is happening is there are private companies that are taking up like spacex they're taking up they're sending um, rockets into space now they're testing new ways of travel and eventually they're going to be trying to send people um, to Mars which I think is accelerating our research we could do research there on Mars on the conditions and stuff like that I would agree that um, industry is an accelerant for science um, basically based off of the fact that um, there's in today's age we're increasingly reliant on technology and stuff like that so um, being able to develop new stuff that people are going to want to use or that people are going to need to use it's leaning more and more towards technology and so technology is obviously not going to be developed without some science behind it and so I do believe that industry is an accelerant to science because as you said there's the idea of profit and profit creates an incentive and so that's what's going to boost um, research and development um, when like scientific methods and stuff like that. Yeah, I'd like to push back a little bit maybe on your guys's views. I think that I think to an extent it is a hindrance, but I think it also does it can be a, a pause to science. And um, I'll bring up an example of this. Uh, we see back when the scientific revolution, there's hardly any industry, and that's when we had the greatest fruition of new ideas by all these scientists like Kepler and Newton. Uh, Einstein even uh, wasn't that industrialized when he was developing his ideas. So we have all these great scientific ideas uh, that are driven. Most of them actually were Christians. They're driven by their urge to discover God's creation and find purpose in that. Uh, and so nowadays we fast forward. We're still doing a lot of science, but I feel like we're not getting as many of those big things uh, as we do did have in the scientific revolution. We're not having, I guess, another we're having more of a technological revolution right now not necessarily like a scientific one, which they go hand in hand kind of, but I'd say that maybe technology has sped up science too fast, so it can't really reflect on itself, and I think maybe it's gotten a little bit sloppy. So like moving into the next question, do you think industry has the op ability to corrupt good science and the discovery of new things? Um, I think to answer that question and to kind of um, address what you brought up in the last question, um, with scientists, scientists like that, I think one thing that is different between now and then is a lot of the time they were doing science for the sake of science. And so now you don't see that very often. You do science for the sake of a goal, an end goal. And so whether or not that's profit, whether or not that's like a cure, something like that, uh, science is definitely driven by an ulterior motive rather than just discovering yeah. something to discover it. And so you could say that that's corrupting good science whatever you want to define good science as that's a kind of a vague yeah uh, phrase kind of vague. but that's just kind of my standpoint yeah. on it i think also in like certain industries 
the science is just speeding up so fast that it's getting a little bit sloppy. Uh, they're not having time to read back. Uh, that's why we see so many papers that are just like people. There's actually some scientists that just go back and critique other people's papers. They're like, this was this is not a repeatable experiment. I did the experiment and it failed. They're pumping out papers so fast because industry needs it because industry moves at a very fast pace. And science sometimes just can't keep up with its slow method of publishing papers and takes a really long time. So I think it could get a little bit into the sketchy realm there. And uh, science might be getting a little bit less trustworthy as a as an overall method. I don't know. That's that's just what I think, maybe. And kind of to that point, um, I think the, the different speed of science versus industry, as you mentioned, that industry is very fast. And so since industry has all these goals that need to be met, they're looking to science to meet those goals. And so scientists are rushing to maybe like curtail or like shorten their um, scientific methods, maybe not like going doing as much research as long as they're producing something that can get it like out to production, out to like consumers faster um, without doing the proper research. Um, I think this is probably not the best um, example, but <laughs> if you look at something like a jewel, um, oh, yeah. They did very little research on it, but they realized that there is a um, a demand for something other than like cigarettes for a nicotine addiction or a nicotine dependency, and so they created Juul. And so now that they're t- uh, there's like very little testing on that, but it was just something that was able to make a profit, and so it was very popular. And so it just started pumping out very quickly without looking at. Um, the like end result of usage of it over like long periods of time yeah that, right. that was a great example yeah and i think another example is um not too long ago you had samsung in their phones and the batteries would explode oh yeah i remember that i one. just think that's an example of they were trying they're trying to push out a phone so often that they weren't able to fully research this new battery they're putting in so then you had big effects yeah you couldn't even that. take the samsung on airplanes like no like, if you have a note you're carrying a bomb in your pocket so mm-hmm. now now, now they've done better research because i have a the new note 9 but that thing has have they done better research be- it hasn't <laughs> exploded on me yet and it's got a larger battery <laughs> capacity. For like two weeks <laughs> yeah but they haven't had any reports recently like the last Caleb time is their research yeah <laughs> <laughs> I, i'm the guinea pig yeah they probably gave you that for free um Actually, they did. It was a buy one, get one free. Wow. All right. Uh, So moving on, uh, we talked a little bit about a time gap already uh, between science being a little bit of a slower method and business being a fast-paced thing. So we've got an article from Euroscientist said, in industry, we need to hear from scientists now more than ever, uh, says John O'Brien, who's a deputy head of some the Nestle uh, Research Institute in Switzerland. They're the ones who make like wa- water and I think they make chocolate too. A lot of stuff. A lot of stuff. Uh, but he also says, we're living in an era where there's lots of skepticism of science that we need to take into account. Uh, do we think this statement could be something potentially dangerous for science here? Um, I do think it can be very dangerous because right now we live in an age of this heightened idea of the knowledge of oneself. Many people think that they know more than they do, or they feel less of a need to look to others to find these answers. And so people come up with their own answers, whether or not they're right, or whether or not they're backed by facts or research. Um, but also not only that, when people do choose to look to others for like answers or anything like that, they go to very like 
on like very sketchy sources like yeah. they'll go to um twitter for example yeah. that's one of the biggest Facebook or... um with very low consistency consistency CNN. very cnn <laughs> very true uh Fake very news. low ac- accuracy and so a significant amount of like our generation relies on social media for their daily news and so once they see it on like a tweet or see it like on a snapchat story they'll automatically think it's accurate they'll automatically think it's real and they'll base their opinions or like their knowledge like off of that and so i think in this generation there's very little looking to hard evidence and hard research and actually diving deep because everyone wants everyone wants to have knowledge everyone wants to be in the know but no one wants to do the work to actually make sure that what they know is correct yeah that's it that's yeah and things also with our access to like google we can just google something and the first thing that pops up it's usually not. Usually, well, <laughs> it's usually like Wikipedia, which is run by people, so they could have false information on that. Yeah. And you, and what you need, your work you need to do is cross-reference. You look at different sites, cross-reference, and see what they're all agreeing on, and seeing if this is actually right, instead of just saying, oh, first thing I look up says this, so I'm just going to believe that. Yeah, I think we should have a class that they teach in middle school about finding good sources, and they just teach mm-hmm. you, like, Oh, Twitter is not a good source to find points for your argument. You can use it as a starting point, but you might need to go back and find more. And it's like National Geographic. If you have science needs, it's probably got some decent information on there. And then sort of telling the biases behind certain things. Like, don't believe everything you read on InfoWars. It's got a heavily Republican bias behind it or something like that. So, I don't know. That might be a helpful class. That would be helpful to me. I used to just Google random things and like tell my parents, I'm like, that's wrong. I'm like, oh, that is wrong. Wow. All right. So, uh, so we've seen that there's the time gap, but uh, according to Scientific Direct, there's also a communication gap between science and industry. Uh, there's just so many academic institutions out there that are doing research. You think of all the universities in the United States alone, it's just like, thousands of universities and there's just so many different businesses and companies out there as well uh so how should we address this sort of gap between the communication between science and industry with just so many different things out there um i think one thing that's difficult um that poses a problem for the communication gap is that um in today's society there's a very big um change from this idea of cool communication to hot communication. So essentially what that is, is cool communication is like based off of facts. Like just like, you know the facts about a product and that's all you base your decision off of. Hot communication is based off of like feeling. Like how do you, like if you were to take an advertisement in the 1920s, there was a lot of cool communication. So if an ad for shoes came out, it would say, what size does it come in? What colors? Like what like good is it gonna do for you? If you see an advertisement for a shoe, you see, is LeBron James wearing it? Like, <laughs> is it's about the feeling you get when you're wearing this. It's like, it's less about the actual facts of the shoe and more about the image or the feeling and stuff like that. And so what's hard is that science is very reliant on the idea of just factual evidence. And so people aren't necessarily looking for that factual evidence. They're looking to feel something. And so that's what kind of like is hard to bridge this gap. And then another point is that um, people just don't necessarily have the common knowledge to understand the science that is coming out and in today's age, because 
the new discoveries that they're finding are very like high tech or just very oh, developed yeah. ideas. And so just an average common knowledge is not going to know that. And so as the great philosopher once said, Michael Scott, why don't you explain this to me like I'm an eight year old? I think that's going to be essentially the best way that scientists can like communicate to today's society is to almost dumb it down for people because there's a very like heightened vocabulary and like to be able to um, explain these discoveries and stuff like that. And the average person just doesn't understand. Yeah, I'd agree. Even I don't understand like a lot of scientific papers I have to read for one of my research labs. It's like all these words, like names of genes that they don't describe in the beginning. It's like the task nine and then the tag five. And I'm like, what is all this stuff? Like, I guess knowing the baseline, how to like, maybe even how to interpret the language of science or just dumb down, but not dumb down too far that you take away all the exactly. actual good material from it. But right. Yeah. Right. Just cut out all the jargon. Yeah. The jargon. Yeah. That people, the scientists put in there to make them feel superior to other people. A lot of times that, that is the case. Or just because they have to, because it's social construct, you know, that right. has the pressure on there. Uh, and so there's also the idea that, uh, at least they do this sometimes in England, the Royal Society funds annual classes on the business of science, dealing with understanding relationships uh, between science and business, and also scientific policy, so a little bit into politics as well. Uh, do we think we should do something similar to this, maybe uh, either as a requirement for a science major uh, or a requirement for a business major, you could switch that around, the science of business, uh, just like have a class like that either here or, I mean, I, they probably do have that at some universities, but maybe make that a standard part of the biology or some sort of science major. Um, I think that it would probably be helpful to create some sort of a class similar to that because um, as time is going on, um, the realm of business and the realm of science is getting interwoven more and more. And so I think um, STEM students are going to need to know a lot more about business and business students are going to need to learn a lot more about science. And so one thing that we have here at Biola University is like the first year seminar classes. And so let's say you're a business student, you have your business first year seminar, you have like a biology um, student, you have first year seminar for that. And so it kind of breaks down the idea, like the overall idea of business or overall idea of biology, chemistry, engineering, whatever it is, what have you. And so it, if you have this a class that's similar to that, that a student can take in their freshman, sophomore year of classes, that kind of bridges that gap. So as they go on, if in a STEM major or a business major, it's easier to like bridge those gaps, to tie those ties between the two to be able to like have an understanding between students of each major and so that when they go out into the real world, they won't be closed-minded to their own major. Right, I think that's good. And I think just a lot of people who are going into university and are STEM majors are generally like pre-healthcare professional. They're like pre-med, pre-vet, pre-PA. And all those people have to work in business settings. So it'd be really beneficial if they get a business background so in high school I took some business management classes because I knew I wanted to get into veterinary medicine and I know a lot of veterinary veterinarians own their own business so just having that background of how business works and oh, that's a really good idea 
think like more of a liberal arts education learning a little bit of everything is actually a really good thing to help you survive in this world I know there's a lot of research in institutions where literally all you have to do is take a bunch of science classes but really like that's going to get you into a job sure but like you're not going to be able to communicate with other people or understand where they're coming from uh, knowing basics of a lot of things is actually really beneficial for being a very multifaceted person uh, so now moving into sort of the Christian application for business and also science as well. Uh, so what kind of ethics should we as Christians be applying to business and science? Kind of a broad question. That's a very broad question. Yes. Um, I think one thing that uh, more less of ethics but more about being a Christian in the business and science um, realms is that one thing that the Kroll School of Business here by emphasizes is this idea of business as ministry. And so as we go out, that is our like ministry field. Maybe we're not a missionary into like a third world country, but there are still many people that we're going to be interacting with, many people that we're going to be touching into their lives to be able to talk to them. And so there's very big chances for us to be able to impact others um, for Christ and to be able to speak life, speak truth, and to be able to um, push them towards a relationship with God without shoving it down their throats and be able to find a ba balance to be strong in your faith and to be able to show that in the workplace but w without forcing it down someone's throat or um, kind of pushing them down a road of reluctance. Yeah, I think also uh, there's a lot of biblical support for this as well as a Christian. Uh, you're called to be holy. Uh, we see in Hebrews twelve fourteen make every effort to live peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Uh, and so there's a very strong call. I think also in First uh, Peter chapter one verse fifteen and sixteen we're called to be holy as well. And so uh, we're called to be holy just as Jesus was holy. And so this word holy means set apart, or what kadosh in the Greek means to set apart. And so we've got this idea that we need to be set apart from other people uh, in order that we may be Im impacting people for the kingdom of heaven. And so there's a lot of different things uh, that could go along with this, uh, like there's Imagio Dei, which treating people as they are images of bearers of God, uh, something a lot of people in business industry, maybe the more cutthroat ones, uh, don't necessarily do if they're in it just for the profits. But I think as a Christian business person, you need to care about others in that and yeah and i think as a christian we can apply a lot of stuff that just we know and we learn in the bible just apply that to business just like we said imago day that we're made in the image of god so people are very important they should be really your first priority because they're of god's children another thing is like environmental caring is because god gave us the environment and we're supposed to cultivate it we're supposed to take care of it that's the first job of man in genesis the first job was to take care of everything he had to name all the animals and all that stuff um and just being also practicing grace because a lot a lot of businesses not a lot but there are some businesses that don't practice any grace and then there are some that do and i know for example like chick-fil-a in and out a lot of those built on christian principles they're they can be more gracious with their employees um but it does come to a point where you have to ha have that line because even in the bible even though god is a god of second chances um when we sinned we were eternally separated like he couldn't 
he's giving us grace to accept him but if they don't accept that grace then they can't be connected kind of similar if they don't accept your grace in business like you're giving them grace but they're not taking it then yeah i think we're going to end this episode with it a, a very great story out of matthew chapter 18 verse 23 i think that displays this grace perfectly uh in a parable that jesus said uh about the uh, unforgiving debtor and i think this displays what grace looks like in the business world uh, and so i'm just going to start reading it here so therefore the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him in the process one of the debt his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars that's a translation obviously it was probably denarii or they didn't actually have dollars back then uh, he couldn't pay so his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife, his children, and everything he owed to pay the debt. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, Please be patient with me, and I will pay it all. Then his master was filled with pity for him, and he released him and forgave his debt. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant repayment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me, and I will pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until his debt could be paid in full. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. Then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, You evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you had pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. So I think the moral of the story... Don't be like that second guy when you do your business. Uh, don't have grace given to you, uh, I guess, by God and not share that grace with other people. Because grace uh, isn't just a doctrine to believe. It's a doctrine to live your life by, actually. So I think that's very evident in the scriptures. Uh, so I think that will bring our episode to a close. Uh, we always have book recommendations. So, Coleman, what, what is your book recommendation for us to read more on this topic? The Bible. Um, authored by many various authors, but inspired by God ultimately. But I think everybody has very much room to be able to benefit from diving into the scripture a little bit more and understanding um, their relationship with the Lord as well as relationship with others. Yes, that is a great book. We do read it often on the show as well. So perfect. We've already started reading it. So it's, I can tell you it's a great book. I give it 10 out of 10 stars. It's not a very PG book, though. Oh, yeah. No, there's yeah, there's definitely some parts you might want to shield your eyes. Just, just kidding. Don't do that. Uh, so thank you guys for watching or listening. Oh, I almost said watching. I did say watching. Thank you guys for listening to the Convergence Podcast. Uh, remember, you guys can follow us on Twitter uh, at ConvergencePodcastBU. Tweet us your questions, comments if you want to be on the show. Again, that's Convergence Podcast BU. Uh, and stay tuned for future episodes. Uh, I think we're going to do some GMO coming up here shortly. And also, we might have another guy on the show next week. So we'll see how that goes. And uh, thank you guys for listening. This has been the Convergence Podcast. In summary, um, when dealing with business and science and Christianity, um, one thing I like to look to is this idea that Money is an amazing tool, but an awful master. So um, in today's age, there's um, lots of chasing after the dollar sign. And so money can do great works, 
for the kingdom of God. But if you have it as your main priority, it's going to lead to destruction.